Welcome to Talking Materials Handling. In each episode, you'll hear from the thought leaders who are shaping what happens inside the four walls of the distribution center. We'll cover the gamut from automation and robots to software and the next-gen technologies that are enabling the workforce of tomorrow. This podcast is hosted by Bob Troublecock, the executive editor of Modern Materials Handling. Remember that Bob welcomes your comments. Now, to today's episode. Well, hello and welcome to today's episode of Talking Materials Handling. Profitable Sustainability, How to Make the Investment Work. I'm Bob Troublecock and joining me today is Jeff Householder. Jeff is a partner at Chicago Consulting. Jeff, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, we're thrilled to have you and this is one in a series of podcasts I'm recording to highlight content from NextGen 2023, where Jeff was one of our presenters. More importantly, sustainability is without a doubt rising to the top of the to-do list for many, if not most, supply chain managers. The question confronting them are where to start and how to do it profitably. After all, sustainability can no longer be treated like a luxury good. There has to be a business case. So Jeff, let's get started. To kick this off, Tell us briefly about Chicago Consulting and your role there. Sure. We're a consulting firm that helps companies decrease cost, improve service, and become more sustainable. Uh, We look at the components of a supply chain, uh, components like transportation, inventory, warehouses, packaging, and systems, and make those work better through optimization. Uh, I'm a partner in the Chicago office. You know, one of the things, excuse me, that I noticed over the last year or two was how often PR teams asked me if I wanted to talk to their client's chief sustainability officer. That led to calls with everyone from Walmart to Dole Fresh to Granger. And by the way, if you've ever been a reporter and wanted to talk to Walmart, you know how unusual it is for them to contact you and to offer up somebody, you know, at the chief sustainability officer level. So based on what you're seeing in your client base, just what is the state of sustainability today? How did we get here? You know, what's driving those companies that I just mentioned to reach out to want to talk to me about what they're doing? Sure. So on the, on the state of sustainability, I, I have to say it's, it's somewhat of a mixed bag. Um, on the sad side, I'll say that recycling is broken. We've got record amounts of material ending up in landfills, uh, a lot of that was due to the COVID pandemic. Uh, people started ordering a lot more takeout food. Uh, there was a real culture, I think, of disposability. And online fulfillment, everyone getting packages really just released the floodgates of packaging and overboxing. Uh, so right now, uh, recycling's broken. We have, uh, if I'm a manufacturer, I can buy what's called virgin material, so brand new material. Uh, at less cost than I can for recycled material. Uh, so, you know, those, those economics uh, really hurt uh, the sustainability uh, side. But I will say on the, on the plus side, there's a lot of customers, consumers, businesses that really want to make a positive change. And I guess I could restate that by saying there's a lot of pressure on companies to do the right thing. Um, you know, sustainability is something that's not going to be going away. So, Jeff, I I just want to probe that mixed bag for a moment because I am still getting, you know, those emails all the time asking if I want to talk to the, uh, you know, VP of sustainability 
or the chief sustainability officer. At the same time, you know, I'm, I'm an avid newspaper reader and I wondered along with the broken recyclability, are you hearing from clients anything about just the, I hate to say political climate, but the political climate um, around sustainability, whether it's, you know, causing companies to either pull back or at least quiet down what they're doing. You know, in, in, in some states, for instance, in rural counties where you want to put up solar farms, they're passing legislation to prevent you from putting up solar farms. It, it just seems like it, it's a mixed bag out there also, depending on where you live. Right. I mean, California kind of leads the nation right now in terms of some regulation. They have a, a bill that's going in place uh, the end of this year that basically is saying, if you want to say that your product is recyclable, if you want to put the recycling logo on your product, you're going to have to meet two hurdles. One is that you actually have to show that people are uh, recycling that in sufficient numbers. And two, uh, that there is a market uh, for that material in the recycling market. And if you either people don't recycle in enough volume or people don't, um, you know, there's no avenue for that material to be recycled. Uh, you're going to have to pull that off your off your label. So, you know, there are there are some restrictions and regulations that are going in place that are, um, you know, really kind of pushing the envelope. I, th I think companies are a little bit tired of the ESG mandates that are coming at them. But I also think that it's maybe a little bit of breathing room before those mandates come back and in, in greater force. Have you seen anybody pulling back from, you know, the stated 2030 or 2035 goals? That was a big, that was a big part of the calls that I was doing last year where companies wanted to talk about their, you know, you 2030 know, or 2035 commitments. I think, you know, I'd be more interested in what companies are doing for 2030 you know, when we get to 2035, 2040, 2045, you know, those timing horizons or those time horizons are so much longer than what many companies are budgeting or planning for, you know, that I, th I think they're just either hoping for a, a change in, you know, relaxing the requirements or some new technology that's going to come out there to, you know, just to make everything better for everyone. So I, I don't, I don't know of any of our clients that are really, I don't want to say pursuing it because again, those, those timelines are well beyond their, you know, their warehouse network, their transportation, you know, the, there are other things that are going to impact them much earlier and quicker at a higher, at a higher impact. So let's get off the negative and accentuate the positive here for a moment. Um, the title of this is profitable sustainability. Um, in my intro, I mentioned sustainability as a luxury good. And that was the title of an article I published in Supply Chain Management Review about six or seven years ago. And the point the authors were trying to make then was that sustainability sounds great, but it's expensive and you know not everyone can afford a Tesla, so to speak. Is sustainability, from your point of view, still a luxury good? And does it have to cost more in today's operating environment? Or have we started passing that tipping point? So I would maybe rephrase it. I would say that sustainability is a luxury experience. It feels really good. And I'd say very comforting to know that you are impacting the world in a, a positive way. Uh, I would say right now, many of the sustainable solutions do cost more 
than the conventional products that they would replace. And that makes sense. I mean, if it was better and cheaper all the time, people would, everyone would change. So we really see it as maybe two main hurdles. You know, does the sustainable solution perform as well? And is it cost competitive? So if you can hit those two, you're doing great. But, you know, back to your kind of initial question, it doesn't necessarily have to cost more. If you can look at the bigger picture and eliminate waste in the process, then you can take that savings from the waste reduction and use that to pay for any premiums that you might have to do on the sustainability side. Oh, that's an interesting point. Is there, you know, um, I, I use this example when we're talking about, um, you know, digital transformation, that for every company, there's a different starting point because of whatever it is that drives their operations, drives their business or drives their supply chain, right? So, you know, it might start digital procurement or it might start digital planning or it might start in the factory or something like that. So similar when we're talking about sustainability, is there a one size fits all sustainable solution or is it just different for everybody? So I would say that there is not a one size fits all sustainable solution. And I think one reason for that is the word sustainable isn't really well defined or put differently, not well defined in the same way between you and me. So I might be really worked up about getting rid of plastic in the waste stream, um, you know, save the oceans and make, you know, make the, the world a better place. But you, you may be more interested or engaged with seeing recycling, you know, of corrugated, or you want to see EVs on the road doing the last mile. So there's a lot of disagreement on, you know, what sustainable means to a specific person. I think in general, people agree. But, you know, when we get to actually, if you had to choose between these five or 10 uh, bad things, which would you like to get rid of first? I think you're going to have a wide difference of opinion. Uh, if there was a one size fits all solution, I would say it's, it's being maybe more cost efficient than your competition. So you have the profitability to invest. I would say it's using resources in a very productive way, maybe the most productive way, and trying to use less materials, uh, trying to reduce the impact of those materials, especially from an environmental perspective. And lastly, and we're, we're not really there yet, but I, if I, when I was really kind of conserving resources for the future. When I was a kid, um, I mean, we were going to run out of oil right around now. So you know, that was one of the pushes for more fuel efficient cars. You know, we're not running out of oil, but, you know, there are materials that we do want to make sure that we don't run out of in the future. You know, many of the companies uh, of those that I mentioned earlier were focusing on either their transportation or their energy costs associated with operations. But we're going to talk a little bit more about packaging. So, Given, you know, the, the impact of things like transportation and energy, why is packaging important? So we see packaging as the tip of the cost iceberg. So if you think of an iceberg, you've got what you see on the top, but a lot of the danger lies below. So when we say packaging is the tip of the cost iceberg, a lot of people see packaging. Uh, it has a valuable role in protecting and selling the product. But what people don't realize is that Packaging decisions um, happen up front in, the, in a company's uh, kind of progression or roadmap. 
and they impact all these downstream costs like transportation and warehousing. And packaging costs, if you were to think of them compared to warehousing and uh, transportation, are usually trivial. So we believe that you should optimize packaging so that you can save the bigger dollars in the total supply chain cost, which is really composed up of transportation. You mentioned energy. We would also add warehousing. Um, using the total supply chain cost, that's a great segue to what I wanted to talk about next. So uh, from your presentation at NextGen, you had a few steps that you might work on with a client. Uh, and I want to walk you through those uh, through the rest of the uh, episode. So the first one was use a total supply chain cost. What is that? And you know, how do you advise a client around that? So maybe to start out with, um, you, you know, we see cost as a great equalizer in a company. Uh, it's comprehensive. It, it's a way of keeping score. And it's a way of prioritizing sustainability or other projects against other projects. So, you know, within a company, uh, there's kind of an emotional side. But if you can get things down to cost, now you're appealing to maybe a larger audience and taking some of the emotion out of it. So our, our first step would really be to define and get agreement on the cost components that we would include in total supply chain cost. Uh, we usually start with the big three, which is transportation, warehousing, and packaging. But we can extend those costs forward to include costs that our customers would incur, their transportation, their warehousing, their packaging, and maybe even backwards to our suppliers. And if we really want to be very comprehensive in our total cost accounting, we should include things like disposal and end of life costs, uh, you know, getting the product back. Uh, some countries in Europe are making manufacturers take back their packaging material. So, you know, that's something that we don't see as much here. But if that legislation or legislation like that passes here, you know, now all of a sudden you're not only responsible for getting the material out, or the product and the material out to you know the customer, but at some point they're going to give it back to you. <clears throat> Jeff, I want to ask a question uh, based on something that you've said there, and I think you've used it a couple of times, which is transportation, warehousing, and packaging. When you look at packaging, you know it's going to have an impact on warehousing and potentially an impact on transportation, right? If you can get more things on the truck because of the way you package and the way you palletize you know, your costs per unit uh, to ship goes down. Um, do you tie, you know, does that cross boundaries? Does packaging also, do you look at it as, well, how does it impact my warehousing costs? How does it impact my transportation costs? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we, we have a technology that we developed that takes into account all these costs that you just described, the transportation, the warehousing, and the packaging. So we define what those inputs are. Uh, so, you know, the baseline might be how many packages can you get on a, a truckload? You know, it might be, let's just say a, a thousand TVs on a, you know, uh, or th a thousand blenders on a truckload. You know, if, if we can get 1500 uh, blenders by taking out some air, then, you know, we've decreased that transportation cost, made the transportation more efficient, but, We've probably also improved the warehousing, both our warehousing, where we don't need as much warehouse space to hold that, and our customers will have a much much denser uh, packaging format that requires them to devote less space to the storage. 
So again, it, it packaging is that component that kind of crosses through the supply chain. And if we're comprehensive, you know, we try and come up with the solution that's the least total cost. Uh, so a, a moment ago, when I was talking about digital transfer uh, transformation, I mentioned you know the starting points different for every company based on their business. I have to assume it's going to be the same for packaging. So when you're working with a client, how do they focus their efforts, or what's important about focusing their efforts? Sure. So once we've defined those baseline costs in terms of let's just say transportation, warehousing, and packaging, uh, we sort those costs from highest to lowest, um, and we Transportation just isn't transportation. It's the inbound, it's the outbound, it's the loading. There's a lot of, it's the accessorials, it's the fuel surcharge. So we we really try and account for all the dynamics within a, a cost. But we also break that into uh, a formula of looking at the usage times the cost times the impact. So when we talk about where we can make a difference, we're really looking of that at that product of those three usage, cost, and impact, and we're trying to find areas in which we can make the biggest changes. So, how can we reduce? How can we reduce um, usage the most? How can we reduce the cost of what we do? And cost is kind of in quotes because that's just not our cost. That's the total cost, which could impl- include our suppliers' costs or our customers' costs. And then, where can we make that biggest splash? In terms of impact, you know, is it uh, because people want successes? They want to be able to point to something where they had a before and an after, and it's made a difference. So, you know, technology has really come to the fore in the supply chain. Um, does technology have a role here in packaging, and how can a company use technology to win? Right. So we we developed a. First of all, technology absolutely has a role in this, and it, it is a necessary role. Uh, I would say starting out, the technology allows companies to combine all these costs into one place and understand what to focus on. So traditionally, you might have had someone who was in charge of warehousing, someone who was in charge of transportation, and you know an R&D group or someone who was in charge of packaging, and they were all siloed, and they would you know, the packagers or the packaging engineers would design the package. It would go to, you know, production. It would go into a warehouse and it would go into transportation. And the people downstream, the people in the warehouse and the the transportation people would say, you know, this product isn't cubing out well. This product isn't storing well in our racks. But they really didn't have a recourse or a environment where they could get that feedback into the packaging engineers. So what we're seeing is really that upfront investment and collaboration between those three to understand what is the impact, what is the environment, and what are the constraints that people are designing to. So we've developed a technology that we call optimal packaging that that takes all those cost inputs that I described, throws in a lot of constraints like rack heights and how high can you stack and is the case count going to be 12 or 24 or 18? And spits out different alternatives or solutions that would reduce total cost. So for a manufacturer, some of the goals or some of the cost savings might be increasing pallet density, uh, increasing truckload load factors, putting more material in the rack so you don't need as many warehouses or as much warehousing space. Uh, For someone who distributes product, uh, 
we would use this to look at what we call their box regime. So how many uh, shippers, corrugated shippers do they have? Uh, what size bags do they use? And try and optimize that so that they can take out the air in a shipment. And that helps reduce the dimensional surcharges as well as the tear weight uh, from material. And um, we've all received packages in the mail where it's a little tiny item in a big, big box. And that's very costful. And the perception is extremely wasteful. Uh, I think since my building is single-handedly keeping Amazon in business, um, we, we have seen that many times in our own unit. Uh, just to, to wrap this up, I wondered... Can you, even if you can't mention the customer name, can you share an example with us? Sure. Um, I think uh, an example that we gave in the um, next gen uh, was we had two uh, soda companies selling an identical 12 ounce can. Uh, they were selling it in a club format. Uh, one was a 35 count, one was a 36 count. Um, and we compared the sustainability of those two solutions. So, you know, and without naming names, there was a dramatic difference in the, uh, the cost, the storage density, and the transportation economics between those two companies. And, you know, we were really surprised to see that kind of gap between, you know, these are major companies selling to a, uh, a very price conscious, innovative chain. Um, and, you know, to see differences in uh, packaging formats that impact cost at the magnitude we saw, we were just really surprised. I mean, we're, we're talking 10% storage density differences. That was, that was pretty big. Well, Jeff, thank you. Uh, that's all the time we have today. A special thanks to my guest, Jeff Hausholder uh, from Chicago Consulting. And thank you for joining. Thank oh, you, Bob. It and, was a pleasure. Great. Uh, I hope everyone will be back for our next episode. And finally, be sure to go to nextgensupplychainconference.com and enter your email address for updates about NextGen24. We'll be back in Chicago next October. We're planning another great event for talking materials handling, the NextGen Conference. I'm Bob Troublecock. And again, Jeff, thanks so much. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, everyone. Talking Materials Handling is produced by Modern Materials Handling and Peerless Media. You can find Talking Materials Handling on MMH.com, on iTunes under SC247, or just Google SC247 Podcasts. We're on all the popular podcast platforms. For more information, be sure to visit MMH.com, and we hope you'll join us again for our next episode.